Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you, thank you, Lord. We just honor you. We just worship you. We just glorify you, Lord. Now, Father, I pray for a touch. Touch our ears. Help us to hear. In these last days, your spirit says, those who have ears, let them hear what you have to say to us. Speak to us, Lord. Let everything that is off you, from you, ring in our ears. Let the other things just go away. But what you speak, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that the enemy will not steal. Help us to believe. Help us to understand. Help us to obey. That your life may be fulfilled in us and through us. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So friends, saints, citizens of heaven, give me your ears. I need your ears. You don't have to cut it off and put it in a platter, but just listen carefully and ask God for the grace to be able to listen for at least a couple of hours or maybe a little less. Because through the week, we all have been listening. Through the months, through the years, we've been listening, listening, listening. Consciously, unconsciously, we've been listening. Most of the stuff which we listen are just opinions of men. Because opinions is what we pick from the world, from social media, from TV, from the internet, from newspapers, from everything. We pick opinions. The problem is when an opinion becomes a belief. But the hardest level is when an opinion which became a belief becomes a conviction. A lot of people walk around with convictions which are just opinions, which have no validity if it is tested with the infallible word of God. So the fact is, even in the kingdom of God, God's people hold untested, unvalidated opinions as their belief system, as their convictions. When truth should be the cornerstone of every conviction. Some of you struggle, honestly, in my own life I know, the areas where I struggled most in the old ancient days is because I held a lie as a conviction. Okay. So that conviction will fight truth because you're holding the conviction as truth and it is just an opinion. While the word of God, you see, is very open. It's open to testing. God says, test everything that you hear. Let two or three speak and let every man test. Because truth can stand on its own. God says, test every spirit. He says, you can test. Whether it's my spirit or some other spirit. Finally, God says, test everything. Because God is not afraid of testing. And therefore, what you believe, you should not be afraid of it being tested. 
Because if you don't test what you believe, you will never know whether it is true. That's why, unlike any other religion, for 2000 years, man has tried to reach this printed word into the hands of people. Believing, this has the power on its own to convict people. And every opposition in history is to see this does not reach the hands of people. Because the word of God is truth. The word of God has power to change lives. So more than anything else in your week, be careful how you listen on a Sunday morning. That should be the most important part of your weekly life. How you hear in this place. Yes, we read, we have education, we have understanding, all that we have. But God has put a particular place in the church where there is the ministry of teaching. That everybody is not equipped to. Teaching is there because we are called to be students. So be good students this morning. Because remember two weeks back we looked at and we looked at these two kingdoms. Three kingdoms actually. One visible, two invisible. Do you believe in an invisible kingdom? If you don't believe in an invisible kingdom, the best thing to do is go home, look in your mirror and tell me, ah, I see my mind, it is so beautiful. Did you see? But do you believe you have a mind? You do believe, right? But you cannot see. Now, I can understand, I know I believe in a heart and if I want, I can take an x-ray and I can see my heart. But what about your mind? Does any x-ray show your mind? No, it doesn't. But it is more real than anything else that you can see because it's with this that unseeable mind you perceive everything. Okay? And the, the gateway, the doorway to your mind is your ears, not your eyes. Not your eyes. It's your ears. Look at the baby sitting at the back. They can see. But they don't understand a thing because they don't have language in their head to decipher what they are seeing. They will look around. They see nothing. In the sense, they can see, but they understand nothing because to understand something, you need the word, any word here. The word here. That's why scripture says, in the beginning was the word. Where there is no word, there is no understanding. There is no understanding. The more of the word, the more understanding. If you understand the word, okay? Understand. So there is a demonic realm, the kingdom of Satan. There is God's kingdom, that is the kingdom of God. And then there is the kingdom of man. Two invisible kingdoms and a visible kingdom in which we live. And the battle, interestingly, is over us. Puny little beings. It's over us. And the battle is for our soul. And the battle actually rages in that unseen part of us in our minds. So keep that. So we will continue. Because that's the reason. If you don't win the battle here, you will lose it. You lose the outside battle. And we'll end up either empty into the kingdom of God. Or we maybe end up outside the kingdom of God. So we'll continue. Okay? Against what? We are fighting every day. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 30, we have an instance here. 
Then one was brought to him who was demon possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And saw all, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. Who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If there is one passage spoken by Jesus, which gives you so much insight about how the kingdom of the devil works, it is this. Like in English we said, this is from the horse's mouth. He himself has shown you what it is. He clearly demonstrates the battle between two kingdoms for the soul of man. It's happening with everybody sitting here. That's why you will see you are able to listen for two minutes and then your mind wanders because there is a battle in your mind saying, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen. Even if you don't, he don't hear that, don't listen. The demons put a thought according to you because your personal demon knows you very well and knows what you like. Puts that thought and drags your mind away and then you're staring blankly at me while your mind is wandering. Minds don't wander, they are taken. They are taken. So God says, bring it into alignment. There is a battle going on. Two kingdoms for the souls of man. Please don't ever think those kingdoms are equal. No, they are not. The kingdom of God is it's no match for the kingdom of the devil. But the only reason this battle continues simply, the reason battle continues like this constantly is because of the free will God gave us. Otherwise, there would be no battle. We have to choose. Therefore, there is a battle. And of God's incredible long-suffering and patience so that people don't perish. Because of that, that battle continues. And one of the, one of the ministries the devil hates most, the ministry the devil hates most is this. When a demon is cast out, because his kingdom is exposed, he hates it. In Mark chapter 16, when Jesus was talking about the signs that would follow, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And the first thing, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. Why? He says salvation is a triumph of one kingdom over the other. And the visible sign is the enemy soldiers are asked to get out. It will be seen. The kingdom of God is actually here. Visible to people. So the devil hates it. Hates it. 
because he is exposed and the people are able to see that the kingdom of God has actually come in power and his forces are taken captive, bound and thrown out. Matthew 12, yeah, 25 to 26. Jesus makes it very clearly that Satan has a very organized kingdom. Very organized kingdom. He's not disorganized like us. God's kingdom, the devil's kingdom are all very organized. Has a very, very organized kingdom. He says, if a kingdom divided again itself is brought to desolation. If a kingdom is divided, when there is a division in the kingdom, there will be only chaos. So what does the devil comes to do? He understands that. His kingdom is very united. God's kingdom is very united. So what does the devil comes to do? The devil comes and tries to create division in us first. Then in the home. Then in the church. In the society. In the nation. What does God try to do? He comes to bring into us unity in us. In the home. In the church. In the society. And finally in the world. That's how he does. Operates up completely differently. The devil brings division. God brings unity. Okay, understand. Yes, understand. Let not thy mind wander. So he's got an incredibly organized kingdom. In Ephesians 6, very familiar words, but this is how his kingdom is described here. We do not wrestle, wrestle, okay, against flesh and blood. We are not fighting human beings. Against principalities, powers, Rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Organizational structure is given. Now yesterday those who were there for the men's meeting, I was saying that when we read this term principality, do you know what a principality is? A principality is a geographical area given by a king to a prince. A prince rules over it. That's why it's called a principality. What the king rules over is called a kingdom. What an emperor rules over is called an empire. Okay, so Satan is the king. Of his kingdom. And he has princes among his fallen angels. And there are principalities. And he has appointed his own angels over principalities. So you will hear when you read Daniel. The prince of Persia. The prince of Greece. There is a prince of India. Okay. Organizational structures. This he is just. A imitator. He knows how God's kingdom works and he imitated the same structure into his kingdom. And that is the same structure we also have imitated in the kingdoms of men. You have a king, you have prince or the other term you have in British history is the term and French history is the term called duke. So you have a dukedom. And if you read the KGB version, as soon as Esau goes and he starts establishing Esau's kingdom, you will see his sons are called dukes. This is a kind of a prince, okay? You look the entire British system, you will see the king and princes and lords and ladies going down to the lowest level. In India, how do we call it? Title head, president. But the power, prime minister. State, governor. Power, chief minister. Down to the little village where you have the panchayat head. So organization structure is there. Everywhere. God's kingdom, devil's kingdom, man's kingdom. But over the man's kingdom, there is an organizational structure of devil's kingdom and man's kingdom. And when you read the book of Daniel, you will see if there is a prince of Persia over over Persia, the one who comes to help Daniel is Michael the archangel who is in charge of Israel. So if you want to put in terms of God's kingdom, the prince of Israel is archangel Michael. 
Okay, there's a structure established by God because we have to understand, if we don't understand how these things work, we will be randomly going around thinking you are in control, you and I are not in control. If the Holy Spirit does not have control over me, somebody else is controlling me. People are all walking in liberty. No, there is nobody walking in liberty. Either you are a slave of sin or you are a slave of righteousness. And you will know which kingdom and who is controlling. If the Holy Spirit controls me, then as many as who are led by the Spirit of God shall be called sons of God. If the demonic realm is controlling me, demons don't have sons, they have only slaves. God has no slaves, he has only sons. Understand the difference. Okay, understand the difference. So, the presumption, I'm not saying doctrine, presumption even of very well Respected theologians is that Lucifer was an archangel before the fall and he had in charge of one third of the angelic host under him. He was probably one of the foremost or probably the foremost archangel and under him he had one third of the angelic host who reported to him and he reported to God. But when he fell, when he rebelled and he fell, that one third of the angelic host followed Lucifer. They are the ones who are called fallen angels. And when he was cast out of heaven, he set up a rival kingdom, still keeping that organizational structure. Okay, that's what we saw. His goal is the domination of the whole world. When we talk about the world, it is not talking about place as such, but basically through his world system, he wants to dominate the people. And because his kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, not physical darkness, but moral, spiritual darkness, his kingdom is the kingdom of darkness, most people who live in his kingdom are not aware they are living in his kingdom. You get it? If the power were to go now, there is, like, let us say, imagine it is night and there is absolute total blackout. Do you see anything? Though you are sitting here, right there, you have no clue where you are. So the people who have been taken captive by the devil have no clue they are part of a unknown, unseen kingdom. Because the nature of his kingdom is darkness and not light. On the contrary, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. Therefore, we know where we are. Therefore, every opinion belief structure or conviction is brought to the light and examined. And it can stand the scrutiny of light. Okay? Let me give you basics which we know, but let me give you basics about these kingdoms. Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Peter, sorry, Paul talks about, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to thee. Okay, that's enough. Caught up to what? third heaven. That's where he heard God speak unutterable things. So there is at least at a minimum three heavens. So third heaven. The first heaven is what we presume the physical heavens which we can see. You know how big that is? Even the scientists have no clue how big this universe is which you can see. You haven't yet discovered a telescope which can see the end of space. Visible space. That is how big the first heaven alone is. 
So if the second heaven and the third heaven encompasses the first heaven, do you think it's small? It's not small. So presumption is the first heaven is the physical heaven. And the second heaven is where Satan lives, has set up his kingdom. And the third heaven is where God is. And God is not just there in the third heaven. Scripture says God is far above all the heavens because see, the heavens itself cannot encompass God. So he's not there just in the third heavens. Okay, But if you want to think about a physical realm where his kingdom is right now, we believe, presume that it is third heaven. That's, but the word second heaven is never mentioned in the Bible. But on the other hand, in Genesis 1, the second day when God separated, you see the heavens. He never said it was good. Because the second heaven is not good because of who dwells there. And also, on the first day, if you look at it, Genesis 1, 4, when he separated the light from the darkness... It divided, saw the light, it was good. He never said darkness was good. He divided the darkness and the light and specifically turned towards the light and said the light was good. Okay? God does not say darkness is good. So, this is the kingdoms. This is how you look at physical realm, organization structure, and Satan's kingdom, like I said, actively opposes God's kingdom at every level. When it comes to man. And his primary weapon. Because his kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. His primary weapon is deception. And he uses deception to dominate and enslave people. And because darkness and deception is so powerful. Those who are enslaved often have no clue. They are enslaved. They think they are free. You go to a bar. And look at all the people sitting there. Nobody will think they are bondage. They think they are all free. There's so much love, so much unity, so much joy, so much broken heads. But they feel they are free. So you need to understand. Because we are so caught up in the physical realm. We don't understand everything that is happening here is being influenced like no man's business by these realms. And we will never understand human history, which we read in textbooks, unless we understand what is happening at the spiritual level. I'll show you examples. Let me show you. You know about the writing in the wall, right? No? You have been weighed, wanted and weighed, right? Let's see. The very night Belhazar, this was the king, the foolish fellow who used the utensils from the king's temple to drink wine, Okay. The king of Chaldeans was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Darius of Medo-Persia has become king over Babylon. He defeated the Babylonian empire. Okay, where do you see this? In Daniel chapter 5. See, Daniel chapters are not in chronological order. It is in spiritual order. It's not in chronological historical order, okay? So don't go try to learn history from the book of Daniel. Try to understand what God is trying to tell you. You will say it doesn't fit in with Wikipedia. Forget Wikipedia. Believe the word of God. Okay? In Daniel, the problem I have noticed with pastors is that they read the Bible and search the internet whether it is true. Nonsense. The word of God can stand on its own. In Daniel 6, remember Daniel 6, you have Daniel in the lion's den. 
In Daniel 9, we have, remember Daniel's prayer and a vision about the end days. And in Daniel 10, remember Daniel 10, where he fasts and prays for 21 days and on the 21st day the answer came. So we made it into a religious symbol, 21 day fast I am. He got his answer on 21st day, that's why he stopped. So we have made that into a religious symbol, I am fasting for 21 days. What happens if your answer doesn't come? You're going to stop? Somebody told me in this trip, Pastor, I'm fasting for 120 days. I said, 120 days? Even Jesus fasted only for 40 days. Okay. Okay. So, you have in Daniel chapter 10, after 21 days, an angel comes. People name that angels, but the fact of the matter is in Daniel chapter 10, that angel is not named. We don't know who it is. And we cannot say it is Gabriel. The reason, I'll tell you why we cannot say it is Gabriel is because in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21, scripture says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me. So he knew Gabriel. He already knows Gabriel. Okay, you're seen in the beginning, again, and but in 10, he doesn't mention. And it was an, it's an angel he did not recognize. So please get your facts ready through the Bible, okay? He did not recognize. And Gabriel is a, I am assuming, this is not doctrine, I'm assuming from the Bible, which I understand. Gabriel is a messenger angel. There are there are messengers in the army too. They are taught to fight, but their primary task is not to fight. Their primary task is to relay information. Though they are called scouts in the army. They can fight, but their primary call is not to fight. Their primary call is to pass on information. So Gabriel or this angel is a messenger angel bringing a message from somebody. But he is opposed by a principality. He's called the Prince of Persia. So he will say that he needed help. He sent, called on his walkie-talkie to headquarters and said, help, help, help. Who came? Scripture says Michael came. He said, do you know why I have come to you and now I must return to fight with the Prince of Persia and when I have gone forth, indeed, the Prince of Greece will come? He said, you know why I have come? He said, I have to go fight. I have fought. Then I have to go fight the prince of Persia. But I will tell you what is noted in the scriptures of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. He says, I'm telling you what, in this battle, you have to fight to bring a message from God to a Hebrew. The one who fights on my behalf is who? Michael. Michael is pushing the principality of Persia across and the message just slips through. You go, give the message. It's a battle. I mean, God can change all that. But God says, why? I will sit back and see the fun. You guys handle it. Okay, let people see how you people fight for righteousness. Okay? And then if you come to words, yeah. So also in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I even, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Did you see that? Who is this speaking? The angel. Here, Balthasar drinks. There, Darius the Mede breaks in and kills him. Why did it happen? Because in heaven, the angel stood up for Darius. 
History is not divided, determined by the battles on earth. History is determined by what's happening in the spiritual realm. Okay? That's how history happens. We look at and says, Akbar the great, Babar the great. They were all, nobody was great. It should be written, Akbar the small, Babar the small, Alexander the small. Why? Why did Alexander, Alexander, because he said, after this I am going to the prince of Greece. And towards the prince of Greece, he will show favor. Why? Alexander never harmed the Jews. He let them in. Okay, you need to understand how these battles take place and the battles are fought over man and their souls. But in the new covenant, we see an unbelievable paradigm shift taking place from the old covenant. And the shift doesn't take place on earth first. It takes place in heaven first. And Colossians 2 describes this. You being dead, that is we being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. This is the problem we, we face. God will not fight on our behalf unless we are declared righteous because his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness while the other kingdom is a kingdom of iniquity. So this fellow will fight dirty, God also fight fair. So actual battle, this fellow has an advantage because all he has to do is tempt you and me to get us into unrighteousness and we know the battle we have lost. Israel is walking in the desert. Balaam is cursing, cursing, cursing. Nothing is happening. Only blessing is coming. And God says, I see no iniquity in Jacob. So Balaam, while he's going, gives a counsel. He says, you know what? You can't do anything to the divination work, idolatry, sorcery, nothing will work. All you have to do is pull them out of God's protection. You can finish them off. Get them to sin. That's all. Big deal. He says, I understand his kingdom. His kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. Just get them to sin. We have them in our power. Because when we sin, we go into the devil's kingdom. It's the kingdom of darkness. That's why... We have to be watchful. So the first battle is over there. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out on the way, having nailed to the cross. That's what he did. Then, having disarmed whom? Principalities. And powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So first, the battle was won by Jesus in the heavenlies. When you win a battle, when you win a battle, first what you do is that when you take, go into enemy territory and you win the battle, then you first thing you go is break down their jails and rescue all the prisoners who were kept captive. Release the prisoners. So you will see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity, captive. Now, this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. First heaven, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, and in the first heaven there is the earth, and in the middle of the earth, bottom of the earth, somewhere over there is what a place called the places where spirits were kept captive. Bad and good. With a gulf in between. But when Jesus overcame the devil in the heavenlies, he descended, took all the saints, and took them with him up. That's a battle that is taking place. Okay? That's what happened. 
So therefore now, the battle has been won in the heavenlies. There is a proclamation on earth. In Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's been given. How? Didn't he have all authority and all power? Technically, no. Because the righteous demands of God concerning man had not been met. Once it is met on the cross and God's righteousness is fulfilled, he says, now I have all authority concerning the lives of men. And in my name, go. So the gospel is an actual declaration of war. Repent. Meaning, manfiravo, change your mind, for the kingdom of God is here. It's a declaration of war. Set the captives free. So what is Jesus' first announcement in the synagogue? The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the prisoners free. Whose prisoners? Prisoners of the devil, of the kingdom of darkness. And in Mark 16, in the portion we saw, Jesus says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. What does that mean? I was telling them yesterday, people don't know the Indian army has an entire communication system untouched by the civilians. They have their own telephone exchanges. They have their own coded encrypted messages which the enemy cannot break into. Half of the job of intelligence agencies is to break into somebody's communication. How to decipher it so you can hear what they are saying. God says, you have a new kingdom, you have a new power and authority, and you have a new communication system which the enemy cannot read. That's why God says pray in the spirit. He cannot understand, you cannot understand, he understands. How do you get in touch with headquarters? By praying in the spirit. Preparing for battle. And then, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. He says no. The powers of darkness should have no effect on us if you obey the commands of our general. And he says, and they will, if you lay hands upon the sick, they will heal. They be healed. Okay? So you will see the entire garment of the new kingdom because much, much of the sickness is demonic in origin. Okay? Demonic in origin. So the church now joins the battle along with God's warring angels. So now let me make another thing clear, okay? Understand the words used in the Bible. When the Bible uses the term demon or demon, okay? D-M-O-N, demon. It is from the Greek word daimonion. When the Bible uses the word devil, it is not demon. It is from the Greek word diabolus, which means slanderer. Slanderer. What do you see? Slanderer. You see in that efficiency, this thing, you know, you, we talked about uh, the principalities. Above them, of course, is Prince Satan and the Prince of King Satan, principalities. When you come to the last, this thing, it is called a host of wickedness. Okay? It's like swarms. That the lowest level are the demons. The demons are the forever, like flies, you can swat them, this thing, they're forever troubling you. Okay? But the devil is not a demon. And a demon is not a devil. 
Okay? The devil is called diabolus, meaning slanderer. Okay? His primary task, the devil's primary task, as you look through church history and through the Bible, is to slander the servants of God. To make them ineffective in the work of the kingdom. The purpose of the demons is to entice and oppress and harass and if possible control. They have their works cut out differently. When you have the term Satan in the Bible, it is from the Greek word Satanus which means adversary. He is the adversary of God in the spiritual realm. But let's leave Satan and the devil for a Little aside, yes, and and we look at demons. Okay, what are demons? I don't know how to explain it. Demons are disembodied beings, beings which don't have physical bodies. Okay, origin is unclear in the Bible, but they are not the same as the fallen angels, one third of them, or the devil. Okay. They are not the same. Origin is not clear. Their origin is either found between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void. And, yeah. Shall we go to the next verse? The earth was void. Without form. The earth was void without form. But that's not what the Bible says. Neither Isaiah nor Job says the earth was not void when it was formed. So what happened between 1, 1 and 1, 2? Where did this darkness come? While the morning stars shouted in joy when you created, here it is saying it is dark and it is void. So the presumption of theologians, one whole set of, again, godly theologians is there is a huge gap between 1, 1 and 1, 2. There was a pre-Adamic race creation. And when the rebellion of Satan took place and the earth was destroyed, these beings are the ones which became demons. Or Genesis 6. Okay, Genesis 6, we all know, Noah's time. So in Ephesians, yes, Ephesians 6 verse 12, when we talk about spiritual hosts of wickedness in the high places, it's talking about the demons. How many millions, billions there are, we don't know because we know nothing hidden. It's that secret things belong to God. We can only press you. So they, they believed there was a pre-Adamic race. They were destroyed in the first battle and they were all destroyed by God, but they were beings somewhat like us. Okay. In Matthew 12 and verse 27, when the Pharisee says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, Bilsibab, you know what actually it means? It means Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Like flies. The demons are like flies. You kill them, they keep on coming. They keep on coming. We try to entice the flies without realizing in the spiritual realm they are enticing us. What does we do in GSS? We put that oil over there. We put some honey over there, little poison. We are enticing them and we are saying we are smart. Other fellow is smiling over there and says, I am smarter than you. I already enticed you. Hosts of wickedness. They call Beelzebub. Okay? Lord of the flies. Led by a strong man. 
Jesus talks about a strong man. One set of demons led by a leader. It's like a platoon, a legion. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 24, then they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with a... Okay, so demons visit synagogues and churches. Okay. Don't ever think some are, some are not here already. Okay, there are. They come. And he cried out saying... Let us alone. He cried out, but the voice that is speaking is the voice of man, but the individual that is speaking is not the man, it is the demon. Not even demon, it is the demons, but the strong man is speaking on behalf of the host saying, let us alone. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What took the disciples over a year of walking with Jesus to know that too as revelation from above, which they believed, disbelieved, scattered. The demons already know who he is. So never underestimate the demons because they have knowledge beyond we can imagine. They can see what we cannot see. And they're unbelievably wicked and they're politically minded because all they're trying to do is create chaos and stop the ministry of the word of God. Do you remember the man in the gatherings? How many were there inside? What did they say the name was? Legion. Like if somebody were to say, what is your name? And Hepsipa was to say, my name is Regiment. <laughs> was your father in the army? That's what you'll ask, no? That's what they said. We don't understand Legion. Legion is a Roman regiment. They're saying we had almost 5,000 people inside. Okay, that's not the point. They knew who Jesus was. Jesus said, get out. They said, can we go into the things? Go into the pigs. They prefer human beings, but if they can't, they go into an animal. But what did they do? Think about it. They said, let us go into the pigs. And we would expect they would be grateful. They got out before he sent them into hell. They got into the pigs and the pigs all quietly went away. What did the pigs do? They went over the cliff into the why? Why did they do it? It was a political move. Because scripture says the people of Gadarenes came and told Jesus, go away from here. You stop the preaching of the word there. Don't underestimate every place where Paul meant the demons created havoc through the crowds to stop the preaching of the word. They are not foolish beings like you think. They are incredibly smart, smarter than us and they see through everything. They can see what we cannot see. Okay, so understand this. This is not the man speaking. In verse 23, 24, we will see it is the unclean spirit speaking and saying, let us alone. Because they live in the spiritual realm, they can see what we cannot see. And they can see what we think nobody has seen. One of the reasons, the first thing Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here and you will know when you cast out demons with the finger of God. Why don't people do that? I'll tell you why most pastors don't do that. Because they're afraid. They're not afraid of a demon. They're afraid the demon will speak the truth about them. I've no pastors who have ran away from deliverance meeting with a demon call and said, I know where you were yesterday. What are you talking about? And now he's bargaining with the demon. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Don't speak, don't speak. Everybody knows all these portions. Why don't you want deliverance? 
See, if you repent, go before God, confess, the blood of Jesus cleanses, there is no record. No demon can say anything. When Paul repented, the demons that followed him through other people did not say, I know who you are, the ex-murderer. They did not talk about his past at all. They said, we know you are the servant of God. We know who you, we know what you did to poor Stephen. We know how many, they didn't say anything. Because the spiritual realm is controlled by God. If you and I repent and bring things out of darkness into the light, scripture says the blood of Jesus cleanses. They have no record to bring out. So don't ever give credit to the devil. He's not as powerful as we think he is. Jesus is powerful. But God, because his kingdom is righteous, he has shown a doorway through which we walk into that freedom. And we have to choose that way every day. Jesus dealt with the demon and not with the man. Okay? Jesus dealt with the demon, not with the man. Jesus taught, Jesus healed, and Jesus cast out demons. In Acts chapter 10, 10, verse 38, Jesus' ministry is put in one verse. And the Lord God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That is what the kingdom of God does. Okay, My first encounter in ministry with a demon, demons, was almost 25 years ago. First time. After that, so many interesting characters I encountered. All kinds of guys. But this was, I was young. So what happened was, there was this young man who was from a non-believing background, who had come to the Christian faith and gone back. He went back and he went to a few places of their worship and came back. We were a group of people and we started praying over him. The demons started manifesting. And they started telling their names. Okay. And he could actually visibly see. Which place of worship he went, the demon behind that got it. It was a room as big as this. This man was young boy, 16, 17 years. It took six of us to hold him down. He was here and he started crawling, literally all the way. He was not moving. He was not walking. He was going exactly like the demon whose outward nature we know in this world had persisted. Okay? Bound him, called him by name, cast it out. First experience, I was all Excited because I've heard, read these things I'd never seen in real life and I was seeing it for the first time. Then we thought he was all calm and fine. The senior pastor said, no, 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 no. There are others inside. This only one fellow has gone, bind, gone. Second one, we start calling it out and he's this. Again, he started manifesting. It's very interesting. What's your name? They won't tell their name if they can, okay? What's your name? Finally, he told his name. I'm not mentioning that name because of a public place, because there is so many sentiments associated with that name in this country. So he mentioned that name. Immediately, his face changed. His face literally changed where you could see the trunk. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that particular one which we know has gotten. That is just the strong man. Behind him with the same characteristic, there can be tens and thousands of demons of the same characteristic. 
So wherever that one is worshipped in different places, these ones project behind it. That was bound, that was cast out. Then again the pastor, one more is there. So we asked the name and the name was mentioned and the name thankfully was not from Telangana, it was from another state. Visiting uh, Telangana that day, okay? And uh, we said, come out, and suddenly it's, you have to see people manifest. He started flailing his hands, and if you actually stood back and looked, it looked as if he had eight or nine hands. That was my first experience as a young person in deliverance. Okay, so when you tell me this is not real, I will say, go take a jump. After that, of course, it's been a series, 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 series of actually seeing how real this kingdom is and how oppression and bondage take place. But we get all frightened and this thing by that. But that domination of that demon over a person is nothing. It's not nothing. The dominations of spirits which enter into your mind is the most dangerous. That's why we think, we look at this poor ones and think, oh, it is possessed, can be delivered like that. But this coat and tie fellow who is walking around with his briefcase, whose mind is completely controlled by the demons, we don't realize he is in a worse state than that poor one. Jesus could deliver every demon possessed man or woman or child was brought to him, but he could not deliver the Pharisees. And you know what he said of the Pharisees? You are of your father, the devil. Why? Because your mind is in his hands. In your body, you're walking as if you are free. You're not free because your mind is in his hands. So please remember, bondage of the body is not as difficult as we think it is or dangerous. It is. It can become really, really worse and they can mess you up. But the thing is, what is worse? See, like I said, in the various deliverance sessions I have done, I have encountered ancient Egyptian gods. Greek gods, Roman gods, Babylonian gods, Scandinavian gods, you name them, I've encountered them in people and cast them out. Including some of the names in the Bible. Including Leviathan. Which even I don't know what exactly a Leviathan is. Nobody knows, but people presume Leviathan is what? It is the crocodile. Because Leviathan, see the children were thrown into the Nile. Why do you think children were Nile, thrown into the Nile? Because one of the gods of Egypt was the crocodile. And it was being fed to that crocodile. You know what the Leviathan, how a crocodile eats its prey? Have you seen a crocodile? It holds it and it twists around. It takes its prey, twist, 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 twist. What is thing happening in India, US, everywhere? Everything you say is being twisted because the spirit of Leviathan is controlling the atmosphere now. You cannot even speak the truth. The truth is twisted around. Unless you bind that fellow, what you do over here is not going to work because he is controlling the airwaves. 
The Bible talks about python. What is the wow? The python doesn't kill like other snakes do. He doesn't inject your poison. He squeezes his life. And so many people don't realize they're under the bondage of the python and their life, spiritual life is slowly being squeezed out little by little. You lose your interest in your daily devotion. You lose your interest in worship. You miss out on Wednesday. You miss out. Then you start coming late to church and then you don't come once a month slow. You don't realize you are in who is controlling your destiny. He doesn't kill you immediately. Look at how these things work. Then look into my life and say, Lord, you know what? This is not what I was called to be. This is not what I was called to be. I look into my, into my, your word. I need to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. One thing I ask every place I go. I said, second, when did I come last? So two years ago. When I finish, I have one question. It's not for you, it is for me. I'm a more zealous today than you saw me last. They said, you're more zealous. That's all. Because scripture says the man who is planted by the river, he will start bearing actually more fruit in his old age. I said, I don't want to die an empty life. I want to grow stronger in the Lord as I grow older. Because that is proof for me. I am growing. I am not retarding. I want to finish this race. I want to finish Yet I will not push open doors. I will trust God to open doors. You need to realize we are fighting a battle which people are not even realizing they are losing. All the success in the world is irrelevant if you have lost this battle. It's irrelevant. We have to win this battle because this is the battle God has planned. It is a good battle. It's called a good fight of faith. It's not a bad battle. It's a good. And we have been given unimaginable authority and power by Jesus himself. That is why he is called the captain of the host. He's got his angelic army behind us and he's the captain of the host. This is a battle. And in Luke chapter 10, this is what he says. He then came to them and said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by no means hurt you. Did you see that? See, this is something which I all, this, this part I like, I enjoy, but this is the part I dwell on. If you said, nothing of the enemy will hurt, will not hurt me, I take it. I take it. Just teach me how to walk that way. The enemy can do whatever he wants against me, but you have said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. I take your word. Like I told the Nepali church, when you hear these guna, sad guna, das guna, hundred, sav guna, no? Thirty, sixty, hundred. Your eyes should go on hundred and tag, lock it there. Say, if God said hundred is possible, I'm going for that. I'm an English student and I knew it was never possible to get hundred for English. But when God's kingdom is not English, it's math. It is math. If something is impossible, God never lies. If something is possible, it is possible. So when you hear that, you must say, Lord, I hope I at least get 30. No. Lord, give me the grace to finish as a hundredfold believer. So on day-to-day basis, we are actually battling demons. Disembodied supernatural beings who crave for human bodies. 
Because if they were a pre-existing race, spirits of a pre-existing race, like us with human bodies, they know exactly what we enjoy. But they are disembodied. They don't have a body. So they are looking for bodies. So they can exercise their ungodly lust through human bodies. If it is a demon of alcohol drinking, what does it want? It wants a mouth and a tongue and a throat. It's watching, watching. When you go to the bar, he's following you. Then he says, ah, Peter, he passed the bar. Then he's watching. Oh, Moses is going. He's stopping. He says, chance hai aaj. Then he also passed. No chance. People think they go to the bar alone. They never go to the bar alone. Because these things wants to drink. They cannot drink because they don't have a body. But if they can enter into that body, they can partake of what they have been craving for. If you are a demon of lust, ah, they're looking for people who will indulge in those things so they can use their bodies. If you are, if you are a demon of anger, there's anger which is a feeling and there is a anger that is a demon. If you start losing your temper over and over again, the demon gets in. Now he starts enjoying. That's why people say, I Lost it. You lost it. He found it. Don't take this lightly. Okay? Because these are beings that looks for bodies. Like I said, anger can be an emotion and then inhabited by demons. That's why God says, fear. The spiritual realm is absolutely different. It can exist in three different platos altogether. Death for me can be an experience. Death can be a place. And death can be a spirit. All three. When you die, it's an experience. Nobody has come back except Jesus to tell what it felt like. But it's an experience. It is a spirit. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, he opened the fourth seal and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And I looked, behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was. And who followed him closely? Hell. Grave is following him. Death is riding. Grave is following. Or hell is following. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword. So we are seeing wars over here. Why are wars taking place over here? Because they have been given power to kill. Death and hates. In Revelation 20 and verse 14, scripture says, death and hates were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. They both are. Now let me tell you, Hades or hell is a place, right? It's also a spirit. It's a place and a spirit. Death is a place and a spirit. Understand that. Fear is an emotion that can be natural. It's also a demon. Shame is an emotion and also a spirit. That's why God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. 
It's not given you the spirit of fear. After the fall, Genesis 3.10. What are the first two attacks man faces after the fall? He says, I was afraid and I was ashamed. When this possession becomes complete in the last days, men will be fearless and unashamed of the nakedness. So you have a set of people now all around the streets in the world who don't care about anybody and they are not ashamed of showing their bodies. This is the exact reversal because then innocence is still there. They have just fallen. The presence of God, all this is there. So they were afraid and they were naked. There is a boldness that comes from God. There is a boldness that comes from the devil too. I don't care. Let's see, you know, even in this, this visit, I met people who I met some time back. And one of the persons says, I don't care what's going to happen to me. I don't care. I go to hell, I go to hell. See? These are all spirits. These are not normal. <clears throat> Fear is an emotion, like I said. Shame is an emotion. And these can be crippling. And most Christians don't realize they are Bound by these spirits. They're so afraid to make decisions. To step out by faith. To trust God. They're so afraid. That even if when God speaks to them and gives them something brilliant, they will not step forward and do it because they are so afraid. God speaks to them much clearly than he spoke to Gideon. But they are afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. You know, Revelation 12 and verse 11, those who overcame the devil, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death, meaning they were not afraid. The other way to read the sentence is they were not afraid. They were not afraid to die for the cause of truth, for the cause of the kingdom. They were not afraid. But fear cripples. Shame is one of the most Powerful spirits that keeps believers from their freedom. Let me ask you this question. David came into the demon of lust and he did something terrible. After that, why did he do everything else? Why did he get Uriah? Why did he kill Uriah? Why did he do all these things? Because he was ashamed that he would be found out. What will people think of me? You know, he was crippled by the spirit of shame, which did more damage than the spirit of lust. That's why God says, if you don't deal with this fellow, this fellow will go and bring some others worse than him. Lust alone caused adultery. Shame caused murder. Lying and deceit. That's why we say, do not be ashamed. Go before God. It doesn't mean, you don't even have to go before man. You don't have to. Go before God and put it right before God. This is who I am. To break his fear and break this thing of the power of bondage of shame. God said, David, my son, write Psalm 51. Write it out. Speak it out. Confess it. He did and he was free. Don't be crippled by shame. Don't be crippled by shame. Because... They can mess your life up. See, we don't need this reputation before men. We need to be true before God. 
You need to be true before God. If he, that's why he says he's, he's sarcastic about the Pharisees. Pharisees. He says, you know Pharisees, you always want the appreciation of men. You know what that leads you? That leads you to absolute demonic bondage. Because you'll be pro- always pretending to be something which you are not. On the other hand, if you are not ashamed, you did something, you are guilty, you are repentant, but you are not ashamed to go to your father. And he said, Dada, this is, God already knows. You're not surprising with any of our sins. He says, I already know. But he says, bring it out of the kingdom of darkness. Bring it to light. Confess it to me. The blood of my son will cleanse us. You can walk without shame. Otherwise, shame is the one which the devil uses to control. In Romans 5 and verse 20, it's actually talking, it's a prophetic link. Law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded. Sin is going to only increase and increase and increase and increase as the end comes. But scripture says, where sin increases, what increases? Grace. Remember, two Sundays back, what I told you what grace is? Let's be practical about it. Grace, grace. Everybody sings grace, talks grace, writes grace. We name our church also grace. My joke in my home is that I asked the Lord, can I have mercy? He said, no. I said, Lord, can I have grace? He said, no. So what can I have? He said, you can have grace, youngest daughter. That's my wife, Elsa Grace. We make so many things about grace, even jokes about grace, without really understanding practically what grace is. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. You are saved by grace, through faith. Romans 8.11 says, it is the grace of God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. that You don't have to go there. Okay, I'm saying it that lifted. So get your fundamentals right. If you don't get your fundamentals right, we will not win this war. That's what the Holy Spirit is given for. Grace is given for to win this war. The Holy Spirit is given to win this war. The reason is because we are physical beings. We are absolutely visual creatures. So that we look at our Outward success as proof that our convictions are true. Outward success as proof that our convictions are true. That's a Laodicean church. Absolutely in blindness, I would say completely controlled by demonic entities. And they are saying, look at us, we got everything. And God says, you are blind You are wretched, you are poor, you are naked. We are all in the spiritual realm and Jesus himself is outside. Okay. Because we are very, we are such visual creatures that, let's, I I was saying, let's have Jonah 1, 3 over there. Okay. Jonah arose to travel to, no, no, let's have the first from the scripture. This from the, yeah, Jonah arose to, to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare, went down to, into it to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Okay? You saw this? Because we are spiritual, we understand this. Now supposing I do a little editing here. I'm going to edit a little, okay? 
because before I came into ministry, I was an editor. So I'm going to do my first editing with the word, which I will not do. I'm just as an example, okay? Jonah arose to travel to Tarsus. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare and went down into it. Doesn't look like, like success. Yeah, he's a successful man. He went, he found a ship, he had the money, he paid the fare, he had a berth, and he didn't stay up with the sailors working. He went to his cabin and he slept. Very successful businessman. Now if you look at scripture, go back. Jonah arose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare, went down to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. You see, this is the problem with our testimonies. We edit our testimonies. We never talk about our bondages. We don't talk about who is controlling our thinking. We don't talk about all our strolling and straying and assumptions in the world. Instead, we edit and put across. You look at me, I'm successful. I'm successful. God says, the narrative is not true. You edited. You edited. That's why the only honest biography ever written in the world is the Bible. Everything else is whitewashed. Bible tells you Abraham as he was, Isaac as he was, Jacob as he was, David as he was, Solomon as he was. But if you were Solomon, would you write your account like that? We would change. All these women from Egypt and this Gentile chased me. They chased me relentlessly out, finally out of frustration and gave in and said, oh, come and join my palace. You chase the narrative. Or we'll change it better. New covenant believer will change. They were all living in my palace, but they were my sisters. <laughs> One wife and 999 sisters. Are you getting it? Just be open and upfront with God. Go to God. And then God says, you need to need deliverance. Go and meet your pastor. But otherwise... Put your slate clean. These people, these demons cannot have hold over you. But scripture is true. When you read scripture, you have to true. 1 John 5, 19, we know it so well. We know we are of God. How do you know you are of God? Because I am not under the sway of the evil one. How do you know that the world is under the sway of the evil one? Because the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know we are not of God. Why? I am not controlled by the world. How, let's, let's look at practical so that you understand. How does the devil control this world? Primary two agents through which he controls the world. One through religion, second through education. Do you know why you struggle? Because you went to school. You go to the villages. They don't struggle to hear the gospel. The very education you have received now acts Against the word of God and religion. Religious people, it's the most difficult people to convert are the religious. They're not bad people, they're good people. If you think the Pharisees were bad, you don't know what you're talking, thinking about. They were not bad people. They were self-righteous religious people. But sitting there in the synagogue, demon persist. 
religion and education. Very difficult, but it is true. The education system in which we live in the past couple of hundred years, our ideas and ideologies absolutely opposed to the kingdom of God. Wherever Paul, from the beginning, wherever Paul went, he faced opposition from what? Either demons of religion or demons of education. Did you see that? We know this verse very well. Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Educated man of his time. Much educated man of his time. What did he do? In Exodus 33 verse 13, he prays 40 years later. Go 33, 13. He says, Lord, I pray if I found grace in your sight. What's that? Teach me. The most wise man on earth is now become a student before God. I'm putting aside all that. Teach me. Familiar verses I'm giving you. Psalm 103 verse 7. And he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel were not in, in, interested in spiritual education. So he left them alone. But he taught Moses. The problem is we pride about our secular education. I also did once. Now I don't talk about it at all. James chapter 3 and verse 14. Yeah. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. And the next verse. This wisdom does not descend from above. This wisdom. It is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's what we pay through our nose to get. I'm not talking about the skills you learn. I'm talking about the ideas you receive. I'm not talking about the skills. You need, we all need skills. Like I said, language is a skill. But when you are receiving the skill of using language through an ideology and you receive that ideology to control your mind, your language is useless in the kingdom of God. That man was trained in all the wisdom of God, mighty in words, mighty in acts. God said, useless. Because your mind has an ideology that is demonic. So go to colleges, the best colleges, stand up for the truth and learn skills, acquire skills, be the best in that skills, but let your mind be framed by the word of God. Because heaven and earth will pass away. Because we always pride about our secular credentials. Where does your ideology come from? Learn the word. Listen to the word. Like I told you yesterday, average man who speaks English uses three to 5,000 words in his lifetime. A scholar will use anything between forty to 50,000 words in English. We need the skill of that language to understand the written word better. I gave them an example yesterday in the... <laughs> what was that? Like I said, now if I were to say, now if you don't understand the meaning of a word, you will go completely wrong. I were to say, Peter is excitingly redundant. Who doesn't understand the word redundant will say, Peter is exciting. 
Redundant practically means useless. But you did not understand the word redundant, so you go. Peter is excitingly redundant. <sighs> Peter is exciting. Let me go for this meeting. You know, where you went wrong? Because you didn't have language. So be the best in the language so you can understand his word better. Not to get a PhD in something. Get your PhD. But not at the... Why did I leave my PhD? Because I would not compromise on my faith. Because my supervisor was an Axolite. Thinking wise. Not an Axolite in practice. He was an absolute leftist communist. And I will not. I would not compromise. I wrote a very good paper. I know it was an excellent paper when I wrote to him. And I wrote why communism fell in Soviet Russia. And he was so mad and gave me an E. I said, it was the kingdom of God operating. The people prayed. I showed him thesis by thesis, point by point, what God was doing in Russia to bring the curtain down. He couldn't digest it. Well, I was not going to get a PhD at the cost of my integrity, of my faith. I didn't want that degree. So we still have good relationship, okay? You, You can disagree with your supervisor. You don't have to fight. But you don't want a PhD at the cost of what you believe. Denying the Lord. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. Scripture says. Yeah, let's go. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Okay. Where does it all begin? Uncircumcised in heart and ears. Always. That's why I said the first thing I want is your ear. But ordinary ears won't do. Say, Lord... Cut the world, the flesh out of my ears that I hear what you are saying as you are saying. Let me not read it through with my understanding of the world. Let me not filter your word out and receive what I want. Lord, give me circumcised ears. If my ears are not circumcised, my heart will never become circumcised. People think the problem is with the heart. The problem is with the heart because the problem is with the ears. God said you are uncircumcised in heart because you are uncircumcised in your ears. So at 80, Moses understands when God comes and calls him. Do you know what he says? In chapter 6 and verse 30 when God comes, he says, Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall I? Pharaoh hate me. I know where I am from. My ears were uncircumcised. My heart was uncircumcised. Automatically my lips will be uncircumcised. If my ears is worldly, my heart will be worldly. My heart will be worldly. My talk will be worldly. You just listen to people's conversation and you will know the tongues are uncircumcised. Why? Because the ears are uncircumcised. Why are the ears and what happened? The mind and the heart, the ear and the lip, it's all in one area. Connected. It's all connected. That's why he says, I am uncircumcised. That's what happened at 40. But at 40, he took a decision. 11.24, Hebrews 11.24 says, By faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know what happened. I have no, I imagine, okay? It's good to imagine as long as you don't go overboard. I imagine somebody told him, this is what you are. This is what you are not. And he's going around as a Pharaoh's daughter's son. And then one day somebody said, you know, you see that lady? Yeah. You see, worn down? Yes. Do you she's working? Yes. Do you see her bones? Yes. Do you know who she is? No. Her name is Joshua. That's your mother. And he must have looked and said, that's my mother? 
What am I doing it? As a prince. What am I doing as a prince? That's my mother. That's who I am. I'm not the Pharaoh's daughter. I'm a slave with my mother. I believe that's what happened. Because why fit? He took a stand. He saw his father Amram and his mother Joshua. I believe that that changed his life. I've heard about a lot of people who changed their lives changed. Because they had this incredible experience to see who they really were. And he said, if that's my father and that's my mother, I don't care about the, about the Pharaoh and his palace and his riches. I will be one among them. But he does something silly. Because he has the mind of Egypt with the faith of a Hebrew. So what does he do? Exodus 2. Exodus 2 verses 11 to 14. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren. So you have to connect these two. That was 40. He said no and this. He looked at that burden and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. What did he do? So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. That's what he did. That's the Egyptian way of deliverance. Your heart is right. But your thinking is carnal. Your thinking is of the world. You want to deliver your people. But how have you been taught about deliverance all these 40 years? How do you deliver and oppress and subjugate? Through the sword. That's the problem. Everybody is passionate about reaching the gospels to the ends of the earth. But the problem is 90% of their ways are carnal. They sit in committees and decide how much funding is needed. What to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. Like Egypt, like Moses at 40. God said, son... Sit down for 40 years. I need to take you. You have got, you got a PhD. Therefore, I need 40 years to take it out of your head. I wish you had only, I wish you had dropped out of school. I could have worked faster on you. Some of us, when we drop out of school and don't do well, we are so sad when God is so glad. He says, you know what? You got less junk in your head, child. You hand your life over to me. I can work faster on you. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. Pull them out. How many years did he train them? Three and a half years. Get them out of the Jewish system. Walk with me. Walk with me. Listen. Hear. Obey. Listen. Hear. Obey. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. Because if your thinking doesn't change, you will never be able to overcome the enemy because the battle is fought here. It's fought here. Three years. Three years. In Acts chapter, you look at the two narratives. You see, you have to put it together to understand scriptures. Quickly we will go. Galatia, uh, Acts chapter 9. Who is this? Apostle Paul, okay, when he got saved. When he received the food, he was strengthened. Saul spent some days with the disciple. This is the day, third day of his salvation, okay, at Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. And then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. The disciples took him by night, let him down through the wall in the large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem. We read all this narrative in one go. Paul got saved. 
Immediately we started preaching, which is called zeal without wisdom. The next thing you know, the Jews want to kill him. They had to put him through a basket and let him down. And next thing we read, he went to Jerusalem. But we don't read the whole account. Let's go to Galatians where he speaks on his own. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, so when did he go to Jerusalem? We just read it in one narrative. It looked like he got saved, he preached and went to Jerusalem. God says, no, you read the closer account. He went to Jerusalem after three years. For three years, what did God do? He was teaching. Get those thinking ideas, Paul, out of your mind. I cannot use you otherwise. Don't in your zeal go and get beaten up. If you get beaten up, you should be beaten up for the right reason. Like I said, you paint a cross outside your church and you teach something which doesn't tally with the cross at all and you get stoned. You are a fool. If you get stoned for the cross, live, preach Christ crucified and then get stoned. He's saying, Saul, you went in your zeal, you preached, they want to kill you. You don't even know what you're preaching about. When, three years later, when he comes and speaks, the entire narrative is different. God revealed, I'm preaching his son. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem. Three years. Minimum time God requires. Minimum. Minimum. It's, it's a spiritual truth. A minimum time which God requires before he can use a person in the kingdom. That's why even Bible colleges say three years. Meaning after you come to faith, I'm not saying three years is enough. For many people it will be 30 years and still they are not ready. But the fastest you can kind of grow if you have not gone deep into the world and got stuff in. The minimum time requirement to change your thinking is three years in the kingdom. I will prove it to you a spiritual truth from the Bible, the book of Leviticus chapter 19. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. He says, you have come to a land, the promised land. I promised you the land. You have planted everything over there. They will come, they will, for three years, don't eat it. Because consider it as uncircumcised. People come into the church, sit down and serve in, but do not minister. Because you're uncircumcised. At least for three years. Let the flesh go. Let the world go. Then when you come, you will say, what I reveal to you is what God has revealed his son in me. I have nothing on my own. Much of the mess that has happened in Christendom is because uncircumcised people have run out with the gospel. And what they preach is the world and not the gospel. Because the gospel hits the center of your being. It's the death of the self and the resurrection of Christ in your life. But the gospel too here is all pointed at yourself, which is supposed to die. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for you. This is okay if you do it. That is okay. It's all pointed at the self and the gospel is actually directed at the death of the self. Why? Uncircumcised people. And once you have received it and that 
that false belief has become your conviction, you fight against the actual gospel of God. You fight it. You hate it. And you actually partner with the devil to your own ruin. So please, don't get fooled. Understand what the gospel is. What was the price paid for your and my victory? And remember the promise of Jesus Christ. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And the greatest power the enemy displays on earth is the power to deceive. The power to deceive. Don't be deceived. We are all deceived. I was deceived. I clung to this and finally to the exclusion of everything else to this alone. And you cannot drink from two cups. You cannot eat from two tables. You cannot. We are not revelers in the world. We are soldiers sent into the world. We are not party goers. We are on assignment. We don't reflect the world. We reflect the king and his kingdom. That is the gospel. And the devil, if you are saved, wants to confuse you, fool you completely and wrap you up in a package that looks contrary to the kingdom of God. Then you wonder, why is the world so hostile to the gospel? Don't blame the world. Blame the church. We changed the gospel. We changed the price tag. We changed everything. We are guilty. Because we put a premium on something in this world. We put a premium on secular education and success. And then we comfort ourselves. You know what? Why I go to the world? I go to the world basically to evangelize. How many did you bring to the Lord last year? You don't fool me. You think the demons do not know? The sons of Sceva in the name of Jesus whom Paul I said, Paul we know, Jesus we know. The demons knew who Paul was. That is authentic. That's a real man of God. We know him. We know him. I know that's a man of God. Though Paul is nowhere around, they said we know him. In the spiritual realm, everybody knows him. That is authentic. Don't play with him. Use people to beat him, but don't go directly. He will throw you out. They knew him. You think demons do not know? Who we are? They do not know. The authentic testimony is in the spiritual realm. God says, where did you come from, Satan? Oh, I was roaming everywhere. He says, you went everywhere. Yes. Did you see my son, Job? Did you see my son, Job? And here the devil says, I know Paul. I know Jesus. Jesus, son of the most. Why did you come? Paul. Son of the most, servant of the most high God. Demons know him. God knows him. And then yes, go there. Lord, how can I, he was a persecutor of, he says, he's my chosen servant. Go son, lay your hands upon him. God knows Paul. Demons know Paul. And we are fighting for a testimony in this world. Success, houses, cards, labels, degrees, all good if it's in the service of God. Otherwise it's all worth nothing. Real testimony is in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of darkness where they should say, I know Hepzibah, I know Hepzibah. She may be a girl studying in class 11, but I know her. I know her. 
they shouldn't have a wrong testimony about yeah i know that one leave it alone you don't go there's too much work for you send one of the small ones that will stumble and fall don't waste your time go after those that shouldn't be our testimony our testimony is that as we go further and further from the host of darkness to rulers from rulers to powers now we are contending with principalities Jesus was not even contending with principalities. He was contending with the devil himself. One shot. I get upset when people come. All these fanciful, zealous people come and say, the Holy Spirit told me this morning. The Holy Spirit told me this afternoon. Jesus never said that the Holy Spirit told me. He said it's written. Everybody is claiming the Holy Spirit told them. The one who was filled without measure never said the Spirit told me. Because if he says the Spirit told me, Peter says the Spirit told me, John says the Spirit told me, and three people say three different things, who will you believe? So he said simple thing, it is written. Can you check? If I say the Spirit told me, where will you go and check? But if I tell you it is written, you can go check, right? Be authentic people. Don't come and tell me the Spirit told me, then I say, why are you telling me? Am I bigger than the Spirit of God? You come to tell me, you are telling me because you are not sure the spirit told you. That's why you are coming to me. I will always tell people, do not be led by prophecies. Let prophecies be a confirmation of what God has already spoken to you. That is how you go in life. Don't get fooled. God had already told even his apostle Paul that you are going to Jerusalem, you are going to be chained, you are going to stand before Caesar. And Agabus came and tied his hands and says, Paul, this is the way you are going. He says, yeah, you know, thank you for confirmation. On the other hand, if Paul hadn't heard from God first, and Agabus comes and ties his hands and says, Paul, you know what? This is what is going to happen to you. He says, thank you, Agabus, for saving my life. I am not going to Jerusalem. That's how people do, because they never heard from God. A prophet comes and speaks to their life. Now they are running after the prophet instead of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't make mistakes, because you do not know how you will get deceived. Know this. This is my text. Like that poor drunkard carpenter in Kerala called Ashari Upadeshi. Ashari means carpenter, Upadeshi means preacher. He was a simple fellow, got saved, he had in much language, but he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. He's dead, he's gone. But once they invited him to US to preach. So when he went first time, like a simple Malayali, he went for the first time and he was going to the immigration counter. He held his uh, passport in his left and his Bible in his right and went to the counter. And they asked the man, said, sir, what is this you're doing? He said, this book is to allow me to enter, but this is the book that brought me thus far. I've had the guts to do that. It is not my qualifications. It's not even your visa. This is what has brought me thus far. Therefore, I will lift this up higher than this. We lift our qualifications, our educations, all our credentials. But scripture says, if you lift me up, oh, if you lift me up, I will draw all men. You know why men are not drawn to us? Because we are lifting our credentials and we are not lifting the Lord who saved us. We are lifting our wisdom and our intelligence and our eloquence and all those things. Oh, children, lift him up and see what God will do. So as we go to communion, prepare our hearts. Like I said, repent. We all repent daily, hourly, weekly. We repent. God says, if you confess, God is faithful. He is faithful.
He is faithful. It's not assertive. Don't give the enemy a toehold in your life. We all fall, we all sin, but don't lie there. Don't leave it unconfessed. When you leave it unconfessed, it is in the power of darkness. It's in the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy will use that to come against you, get an entry into your life and possess you. God has never promised to cleanse an unconfessed sin. He says, if we confess, he is faithful. He has given us that boldness. He has made us away through the blood of Jesus. A living way. This morning, let's first go to him. Through that living way, through that blood. Saying, Father, have mercy. Touch me, Lord. Touch me every time I hear your word. I look into your word. I realize my mind. My mind doesn't function the way the kingdom of God does. Yet you have said you have the mind of Christ Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, in my thoughts. Forgive me the way I think. Forgive me the way I hear. Forgive me the way I believe. Forgive me the way I talk. Forgive me the way I do. Oh, Father, your word says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Oh, Father, there is a righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. Draw me into that righteousness, O oh Lord. Help me to hear. Cause these ears to hear your voice, O oh God. Cause this mind to change. Not to be confirmed to the pattern of this world. By the renewing of my mind, I might know what is the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. Speak to us, O oh God. Cleanse us. As we go to this table, Father, I pray. The bread, the emblem of your body that was broken. The blood that was shed, as we partake of it, we are not guilty of sin against the Lord and His body. But instead we are strengthened. And there is a healing that we receive. There is a quickening in our spirit that comes to God because we partook it by faith and the obedience that comes from faith to God. I pray as your servants, the elders, brings the elements, O oh Lord, and people partook of it. There will be a supernatural grace that is released into the lives of people, Lord. Touch, Father, touch. Wherever people are being held bondage in the body or the mind, I pray the grace of Christ will set them free today, Lord. Not tomorrow, but today, Lord, because we believe. We believe greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. That he who is born of God overcomes the world, even though the whole world lays under the sway of the wicked one. We who are born of God overcomes the world, and therefore we will overcome the powers of darkness of God. That is our destiny, that is our inheritance, and I pray no one will fall short of their inheritance, O Lord. Help us, O Lord. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
scripture says the kingdom of god is not a matter of talk it's a matter of power it's a matter of power we are talking kingdom language here the kingdom of devil it's not a matter of talk it's also a matter of power that's why people all get into occult and witchcraft and run after those people because there is power there but the kingdom of god rules over the affairs of men we cannot be powerless in this power encounter we cannot allow the enemy take space in our mind in our body or in our spirit jesus said love god with all your heart that's the seat of your and my spirit with all your soul that's the seat of your and my mind and with all your strength that is the expression of my and your body do not let it be divided love god with everything serve god with everything when you read those scriptures believe it is possible scripture says all things are possible to him who believes believe you go back home tonight sit with the holy spirit and if still there are stuff which you do not know of ask lord bring into my remembrance the things i need to get rid of and if there is something attached to it show me lord you can do it yourself you can use the name of jesus and says i take authority in the name of jesus and i command these demons to leave me in jesus name I belong to God. My body is his temple. My soul is the mind of Christ and my spirit is where he has enthroned himself. You have no space in me. You can do it. You can do it. And if you struggle, meet us. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Our liberty was bought at such a high price. Don't sell it for short. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. We just surrender ourselves as best as we know. And we proclaim it to our mind, with our mouth. Our body, our soul, our spirit is yours and yours alone. Teach us your ways. Show us your paths and empower us to walk in that way, oh Lord, that we might be a set of people who are set apart for you wherever we go. school college home office church we are the one and the same person set apart for god oh father change us empower us you are radical your kingdom is radical make us radical disciples oh lord we are not looking down on anybody we are just saying lord we see who we are action act in actuality and we see who we can be in you And all we say is lord we surrender and change us change us father every day change us set our hearts on fire change us oh lord so that every place the sole of our foot treads we know it's kingdom territory that we are taking soul by soul one man at a time from the powers of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light because you have given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy oh god help us and teach us to exercise it oh father
Thank you, thank you, Lord. As we go into this new month, I pray, Father, your people are here. I don't know what they are lacking, what they are oppressed by, but you are the only answer. Christ is the answer. And I pray you will meet them at their point of need, O Lord. Deliver those who are oppressed. Heal those who are sick. Supply those who lack. But in everything, O Lord, let Christ be magnified in all that we do, Father. Once again, as a church, we lift you up. We lift you up, Jesus. We lift you up. Now, by faith, believing the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God and the Word of God has cleansed us, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim in your house the kingdom, the glory and the power is yours and yours alone, O God. And we are not ashamed to declare your name. We are not ashamed to declare your kingdom, O God. Because we know one day the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign over all the kingdoms of this world, O Master. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen. Amen.